17th chapter of John is an extended prayer prayed by Jesus. He prayed it for himself to begin with. He prayed it for his disciples, the 11 who were right around him, and he prayed this prayer for all who believe in him through the word of his disciples, which is why we say today that Jesus prays for his church. Now, this is actually, John 17 is actually the first of two prayers that Jesus prayed just before he was arrested and tried and crucified. This prayer is prayed at either the Last Supper or possibly while Jesus was walking on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed the second prayer. The second prayer that Jesus prayed is in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's the famous prayer that Jesus prayed as he's looking at the cross and he's feeling the agony and the weight and the the grief and the tension. And he calls out to his Heavenly Father and he said, Father, if possible, if it be your will, let this cup of suffering pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. The prayer we're looking at today is just prior to that. Both of them reveal Jesus' absolute submission to the will and the plan of God. The will and the plan of God for Jesus Christ the Son was to accomplish the glory of God by saving sinners, by dying for them on the cross. And Jesus, the Son of God, is absolutely committed to that. And these prayers are prayed with that in mind. One prayer, the one in the Garden of Gethsemane, highlights the suffering of it. Jesus said, let this cup, it's the cup of suffering, let the cup pass, but not what I will, what you will. It's focusing on the suffering. The prayer we're looking at today focuses on the glory. The glory that is to come to God the Father and God the Son by accomplishing salvation for sinners on the cross. These are amazing prayers. We began last week in John 17, the first five verses, with the vision of Jesus Christ, the Son of God made flesh, praying. We beheld Him in glory, grace, and truth. We heard Him praying to the Father. We saw something about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. We we walked in on Jesus, so to speak, praying as He's working out his, His submission to carry out the plan of God. We see Him We hear him, and it stirs something in us as we watch Jesus pray in these verses. It stirs our love and our faith and our hope in him. And then we come to verse 6, where we're going to begin today. We come to verse 6, and Jesus turns his prayer from from praying about his relationship with the Father. Now he's praying for the 11 disciples who are around him. He's praying for those who are with him that night. And we understand, we keep saying this over and over, we understand because we read the rest of the prayer that Jesus intends for this prayer to be for all, everyone who believes in him through the word of these disciples, which is the church now. Jesus is praying for the church today, 2,000 years ago. So we're going to see that this morning from John 17. I'm going to read from starting in verse 1 through verse 11, but we're going to pick up the message in verse 6. So if you'll stand with me in honor of God's Word. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You. Since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom You 
have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Now, if we continued reading the rest of this prayer, we would hear Jesus say these things. He would pray for the protection of his people from the evil one. He would pray that his people would be sanctified in the truth. That means they would be made holy. They would grow in the truth. And he would pray, we would hear him pray, that his people would be one. They would have oneness in God. And that is what we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. In the verses we're focusing on today, we're focusing on this reality, that the church of Jesus Christ is in the world. We're focusing today on the fact that believers, followers of Jesus Christ, are still in the world, and Jesus knows it. And so he prayed for us in the world. The protection that he wants us to have from the evil one, the sanctification that he wants us to have in the truth, the oneness that he wants us to have in him is while we are living in this world. One of the greatest challenges for every Christian and one of the great discussions and debates and even disagreements among the church in general throughout all of Christian history is about being in the world. The questions arise, why did Jesus leave us in the world? You've probably asked that on your worst day. Why am I still here? What is our purpose here? The church, Christians have been asking since the beginning of time, since the beginning of the Christian faith, how do we interact in the world? How do we relate to the world? Are we supposed to isolate from the world? Are we supposed to adapt to the world? Are we supposed to make pronouncements of judgment against the world? Are we supposed to enjoy the world? Are we supposed to change the world? Are we supposed to do a little bit of all of the above, depending on the circumstances? And what is the world? What are we talking about? What is worldliness? 
As we think about the world, what, we, what are we to even hope for about the world? What are we to do as Christians in the church in the world? Some form of these questions or this question has been part of the thinking and the discussion of Christ's people since the time he ascended into heaven and left the Holy Spirit and sent us out to live and witness in the world. And this we should understand, that there's no way to address, to even have a discussion on this basic question of the Christian in the world without looking at John chapter 17. Because if we don't have this chapter, we're lost. Here, Jesus is praying to God the Father for his people, Christians, the church, in the world. His prayer becomes our prayer. His prayer becomes our instruction. Because Jesus' prayer gives us the foundation, the teaching from which we answer all the rest of our questions about what it means to live in this world. We do not get in John 17 a lot of specific instruction for the specific situations that each of us face every day. But what we do get in John 17 is the foundational teaching that Jesus gives for what it's like for his people to be in this world. And we get it in Jesus' prayer for us while we are in the world. So we need this whole chapter, and we need the portion that we're looking at today, verses 6 through 11. In it, we hear that Jesus prayed for his church in the world. We're going to look at it this way. When Jesus prays, he reveals who we are, what we have, and why we are here in the world. First, we're reading Jesus, and we come to understand who we are in the world. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to, here we are, the people whom you gave to me out of the world. Yours they were, you gave them to me. They have kept my word, or your word. Here's who we are in the world. We are the people who belonged to the Father, and the Father gave us to the Son, and he did so by taking us out of the world or transferring us from one world to another. In this text, at this point, Jesus is praying specifically for his 11 disciples. And if so if you're reading along in a Bible commentary, that's one of the first things they're all going to say. Right here, he's talking about the 11, to which I say, yeah, but keep reading. Because in verse 20, we read, that everything he says about the 11 here, he's also praying for those who would believe in him through the testimony of the 11. So in this text of the Bible and theologically, we understand that what is true in this prayer about these 11 is true for all who believe in Jesus Christ through their word. Every born-again, repentant believer in the body of Christ is included and as the body of Christ, this is true about the church. And what Jesus just said is true about the church is this. We belong to the Father. We were given by the Father to Him, the Son, to Jesus the Son, out of the world. We belong to the Father. Christians belong to the Father. 
Romans 8. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that the Son, Jesus, would be the firstborn, the priority one, among many brethren, brothers and sisters. These he called, he justified, that means he declared them pardoned of sin and righteous before himself, and he glorified, put his glory on them, and will glorify them in heaven. Those whom he, God, foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Every Christian in the church belongs to God. Ephesians 1. We are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies because He, the Father, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. This is what Jesus is acknowledging when He says here, the people whom you gave me, they were yours, you gave them to me. We belong to the Father. This is beyond our comprehension. And let me go ahead and say that this is, a, this is actually outside of our experience. In other words, this whole interaction of our salvation began between the Father and the Son in the mind, in the will, in the plan of God Himself before we were born. God is saving a people. We he has a people belong, who belong to Himself. We get included into this by grace. That's why it's so beautiful to be reading this prayer between God the Son and God the Father. We get brought into it. It's happening, but we get brought in by grace. We belong to the Father. And then what, what Jesus said in verse 6 is, These are the people whom you gave me out of the world, yours they were, but he has given them to the Son. So we belong to the Father, but the Father has given us, the church, his people, to the Son. What are the Son's belongs to the Father? What, what is the Father's belongs to the Son? Verse 10, we belong, this is who we are, we belong to the Father, we belong to the Son, we belong to God. The Father gave us to the Son. God the Father gave us to Jesus Christ the Son so that, this is why, so that the Son, Jesus, would give us eternal life. All authority. Now this is, this is a bit mind-bending at times, but it's, it's the nature of reality. Before the world began, Worked out in human history through Jesus Christ. It's the nature of reality that the Father gave the church to the Son so that the Son, Jesus Christ, would give to the church eternal life. That the Son, Jesus Christ, would be glorified by giving the church eternal life because He secured that eternal life for the church on the cross. And he did that so that Jesus Christ the Son, the way Romans puts it, would have many brothers and sisters. The whole point, the way God worked this out and planned it from, from all of eternity is that Jesus Christ would be like, he would be like 
a firstborn brother, capital B. And that God would save a people who Jesus would call brothers and sisters. And he would lead us into glory because we would be made like him by the work of the Holy Spirit. This glorifies Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus is saying here in this prayer. That the Father gave the people to the Son that the Son might give them eternal life. And that's why he did it. For his glory. And then he says that the Father gave the church to the Son. And he gave the church to the Son, verse 6, out of the world. In John, in the New Testament, the world is not the earth. He's not talking about rocks and trees here. He's talking about the world. The world is something else. D.A. Carson has a simple definition. The world is the created moral order in active rebellion against God. That's the world. The, the world is a state of mind that is in every person. It's a posture. It's the posture of all humanity. It's a posture that sets itself above God. This is what worldliness is. Worldliness is not just a, a behavior that one group likes but another one doesn't and so the one that doesn't calls the other one worldly. That's not the point. It's a state of mind. It's the state of mind of humanity that sets itself above God, that sets itself independent from God, free from the authority of God and therefore free from the love of God. Worldliness is in the mind and heart of a person. It's moral. It's spiritual in nature, and it is opposed and hostile to God. Every person is of the world. Every person. Every person is hostile and in rebellion against God until the heart is made new by the Spirit. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord, even early in life, so as to never have done something really bad that people say is worldly, still has worldliness in the heart prior to the Holy Spirit giving that person the new life, even if that person can't articulate it. I read testimonies all the time of people who are joining Grace Community Church. And someone will write, I don't ever remember a time when I wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ. That means to me, when I read that, I say, okay, that means that person had the privilege of growing up in church, heard the gospel, and responded at a very, very young age to Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, that person is a Christian. And still I know, even though they didn't articulate it on the paper, there was a point when that person was in active hostility and rebellion against God, even if they didn't work it out in their behavior because they were so young when they came to Christ. This is the plight of humanity. Young and old, behaviorally good and bad, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Now, that's a tough reality to really get a hold of. 
Young, old, good, bad, behaviorally, it doesn't matter. Every human being begins with rebellion and hostility in the heart against God. That means that every human being is in the world. That's the context. And God in His grace, Jesus says here, takes His people whom He foreknew and gives them to His Son. And His Son dies for them while they were in the world. Still sinners. Christ died for them. And He brings them out of the world and gives them to Christ. The world is the moral order in rebellion against God to which everyone belongs and where everyone shares in that rebellion until by grace alone the Father takes His own from the world and gives them to the Son to redeem them and forgive them and wash them and renew them. And when He does, here's the good news. We belong that's the point. Who are we in the world? We are the people by grace who belong. We belong to God. Colossians 1. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's the world. Hostility, rebellion against God. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. He gave us to the Son, who is King Jesus over a kingdom. And in that kingdom, in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. This is who we are. We read about it a moment ago from 1 Peter. We are a people for God's own possession. We belong to God. So that, for the purpose of, we belong to God for the purpose of proclaiming the excellencies of Him, not ourselves. We do not proclaim ourselves. We are not good people. We do not proclaim the excellencies of our congregation. We are not good people. We proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ who died for our sins. We were redeemed for this. We are the possession of God for this. This is the whole purpose of grace. We proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness, that's the world, and into His marvelous light. Once we were not His people. But now we are his people having received his mercy. Who are we? Jesus prayed a simple little sentence. I manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. That's all in there. Because we belong to God, we rejoice. Now, I'm not being trite and I'm not overlooking the sorrows and the sufferings of this world, and I'm very mindful of what you're going through, and I'm very mindful of what I'm going through, and I'm very mindful of what our brothers and sisters are going through in North Korea, who we prayed for this morning. But here we need to say that there is one thing settled. 
And that is who we are. We belong to God. We are God's people. And we need to rejoice in that. There is the foundation of our joy. Our joy cannot be, if you're like me, I know what you want. If you're like me, what I want is I want my world to be orchestrated in such a way that I have joy. And it hasn't happened yet. Complete joy anyway. I mean, I have a fine life and I'm happy. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying, I'm just saying complete, complete joy. The, the weight of my joy is on belonging to God. Rejoice, brothers and sisters. And if you're not a Christian, here's the good news for you. Jesus will forgive you of your sins. He will transfer you from the world, the domain of darkness, into the world of His light, of His glory, of His grace, of forgiveness. He'll forgive you because He died for you on the cross. And you can have an identity, which is this. You, as a human being, can say, I belong to the God of the universe. Rejoice. And we can rest. We don't have to strive anymore. We don't have to work and try to figure out our identity and what group we're going to fit in. We can just rest. I belong. I belong to the people of Jesus Christ. You are the people I belong to, and we belong to God. We can breathe. Man, do we need to take a breath. This world needs to be able to just take a breath and rest and say we are him he has us and regardless of what happens he's going to get us home and then we can reset now now because we belong to him we reset with a new identity, a new posture, not of hostility, but of submission and love and rejoicing, a new mindset transformed by the truth, a whole new nature alive to spiritual realities now that we couldn't know before when we were in the world and in darkness. A new identity, we belong to Him, a new command to love one another. That's who Jesus said we are, who we are in the world. That first point was longer than the second two, so here we go, number two. What we have in the world. Who we are, we, we are God's people. A, the people given by the Father to the Son out of the world. Now, what do we have? Jesus said this. He said in the world, he's given these, these, the, his people these things. God's name, God's word, and, God's, and his own prayers. He, verse 6, he says, I, I have manifested your name to them. That's a strange phrase, isn't it? It doesn't just mean I introduced you. Disciples, here's God. God, here's disciples. Y'all go talk. No, he manifested the very name of God. Now, name in the Bible refers to the very person, that person's nature, the person's character, something about that person. So what Jesus said when he said, I have manifested your name to them is I have manifested who God is to people, his nature, his character, something about God. I remember when I was about elementary school late maybe late elementary school it seemed like gift shops everywhere sold stuff like bracelets and coffee mugs that had very common names on them like scott do you ever i got i see a head nodding anybody else remember those things you i don't know you go into one of these gift shops and there'd be a a a t-shirt or whatever and it just would say say scott and then it had a definition on it well you know when you're in elementary school you think that stuff's true 
And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I see my name, Scott, and they don't realize it's just made up by some marketer and it has nothing, no bearing on my name whatsoever. But it felt biblical. You know, like Abram, exalted father. You know, Scott, strong, confident one. I just hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> but even as a child, I'm looking for my identity in the gift shop of Dollywood, you know. <laughs> the, point, the point is that the name represents personhood, nature. We're looking for that. And here Jesus says he's revealed, manifested, made known the name of God, the very being, person, nature of God. This is what he's given to us. He said, John said in John chapter 1, no one has ever seen God, but he, Jesus Christ, has made him known to us. John 14, Philip comes to Jesus and says, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. All throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus keeps using this phrase, I am, I am, I am. And if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, you might read right through that. So oh, Jesus is, Jesus is, Jesus is. But when you, know, when you know the rest of the Bible, when you understand that Jesus is actually referring back to the book of Exodus, where God himself is speaking through a burning bush to Moses, and Moses says, who are you? And God said, I am. And Jesus in the Gospel of John keeps saying, I am. He's saying, I am making God known to you because I am God. In this world, Jesus Christ has given us the name of God, the very nature of God. He is God and he is revealing him to us. And I just insert here, okay, of all the things that we think we need and want to get from Jesus, this is the one that matters. He brings us God. And then he said, verse 8, he gives us the word of the Father. I've given them your word, Father, and they have kept it. They have kept it by believing. And every person who is believing is keeping the word. We are not without truth. We are not without gospel. We're not without message. Jesus brought to us the very truth, word, gospel, message of God himself. He gave it to us. And in fact, Jesus is this. Jesus is the word. He is the good news. He abides in us as his word. We have God's nature, character made known to us. We have God's word given to us. And the third thing he does is he gives us his prayers. Verse 9, he said, I am praying for them I'm not praying for the world. Now, the world gets included in the prayer later, but right here, he says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those whom you have given me. You know what we call John 17? It has a title. Maybe it's in your Bible at the top there. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. It's called that because here Jesus is, who is our priest representing us to God, is the one who's praying for us. In fact, the Bible goes on to say in Hebrews 7 and Romans 8 that the high priest is permanently praying because he's the permanent priest. He's the only priest we need, and he's always interceding for us. He's giving us his prayers. He's praying for our sanctification, our protection, our oneness in Christ, in God. And he's unwavering. Jesus started praying for us when he ascended into heaven. And he's been praying for us unwaveringly for 2,000 years. 
Do you ever waver in prayer? Do you ever waver in your faith in prayer? Do you ever wonder if God's going to answer your prayer? Do you ever get even more confused when you've been praying for something for a long time and then you read something that we read a few weeks ago where Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give it to you? Does that ever confuse you? Think about Jesus. He prayed to the Father. He's been making intercession on our behalf and will do so until he returns. And Jesus remains confident that his prayer is going to be answered even if you and I don't look like we're cooperating with his prayer. He keeps praying. And so we keep praying with the same confidence that God will accomplish his will for his people. God will protect his people from the evil one. He will, he will sanctify his people in the truth. He will keep his people one in him and he will get his people all the way home. This is what we have been given. This is what we have in this world. We have God in Christ. We have the word of God through Christ and we have the prayers of Christ. So with this identity, we belong. With what we have, the name, the word, the prayers, the final question is why are we here? Verse 10, Jesus said, all mine are yours, yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Why are we here? We are here to glorify Christ. It's big. It's overarching. It doesn't specifically answer the question about what you've got on your to-do list tomorrow. It doesn't specifically address every appointment that you have to go to after this worship service. But it is the overarching purpose that gives meaning, definition, direction to every one of those appointments and everything on that to-do list. We exist for the glory of Christ. That's why this church exists. I have a lot of hopes and a lot of dreams. And there are a lot of things that we're taking care of by way of details and logistics and provisions and decisions for this congregation. But let's don't ever forget that the overarching, the driving, the ultimate, the single, the greatest chief end of Grace Community Church and you as a Christian and every, all of God's church in this whole world for all of time is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. I am glorified in them, he said. The glory of Christ is displayed when God the Father gives people to God the Son and God the Son gives those people eternal life out of the world because it's eternal life that he secured on the cross. Jesus Christ is glorified by saving sinners by grace. When, when I read Ephesians 1, I don't know how long ago, years ago, maybe decades ago, I don't remember, but I just remember that I read Ephesians chapter 1 and I came across a little, bit, a little phrase and it changed everything for me. And it's this. In Ephesians 1, Paul goes through this list of all the great salvation and blessings that God gives to his people. And then he says, all, and, and the fact that Jesus died for us, and he says, all of this is to the praise of the glory of his grace. And when I read that, it made sense. 
salvation, the church, me, you, is all so that the grace of Jesus Christ would be glorified, that he would be praised for it. This is why we were in, are in the world. Congregation. The first part of this prayer was Jesus praying to the Father about glory. The second part, now he's praying for his church in the world. Church, stay true. Stay grounded. Jesus knows we're here. Jesus is the one who left us here. But Jesus left us here with an identity. We belong to him. Jesus left us here with gifts. We've got God himself, the name of God. We've got the word of God. We've got his ongoing prayers. Stay focused, stay true, stay grounded right there. Don't get knocked off pace. When the flesh and the world and the devil seek to derail and discourage and demoralize us and defeat us, stand right here. Let's stay together. Let's stay engaged with one another to exhort and encourage one another with these words all the more until the day draws near. Congregation, let's live right here. We have, a, we have some bundles. We, this gives us a bundle, a bundle of things, rest, rejoicing, freedom, praise, confidence, faith, hope, love, because we are God's people in the world. It gives us another bundle of watchfulness, steadfastness, seriousness, sobriety, laboring in prayer and in the work of the gospel, exhorting one another in grace and truth as we remain in a world that is in active rebellion against God. And it gives us another bundle of weight and anticipation and intentionality and consecration and longing and focus as we pursue the greatest end of all, and that is the glory of Jesus Christ in everything we do. So may that vision of Christ stir up our affections, deepen our devotion today. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It is, it is a gift, and it is gracious, and it has guided us this morning, and we're praying that it would take root 